0: so much for listening. We got a great powerhouse. Wow. Show for you today. Wow. Interview with Dr. Sabine Hazen, the world's foremost authority on the microbiome. Uh, we are going to, we're going to, we're going to sit back and listen to her is what we're going to do, but she's going to explain so much about the microbiome, explain so much of its relationship to uh, COVID, especially, and explain about ivermectin. She's going to share some information that you may not know about ivermectin, and I think you'll really enjoy what she has to share. This show is going to be talking about the importance of diversity. It's going to be talking about the importance of personalization in medicine. It's going to be talking about what we know from a verifiable empirical evidence perspective about the microbiome as it pertains to health and as it pertains to COVID as well. So stay tuned right after these messages. We got a wonderful interview that I think you're going to really, really love. We'll be right back, folks. Thanks.
1: Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep, with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support, delivered in a patent pending, pill free, ultra absorption microgel formula that tastes great fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off.
0: All right, welcome back everyone. Uh, I can't wait to get into this interview. I can't tell you how much I've been wanting to get this interview and get this shared, get this information shared with you everyone. I am honored and privileged to have Dr. Sabine Hazen, the CEO of Ventura Clinical Trials and Progena Biome, uh, on with us today. This is an amazing woman, a self-described hurricane. I love her so much. (laughs) Spearheading uh, clinical trials for over two decades two decades of experience knowing how and what a clinical trial is supposed to look like. And for the last seven years, she's been working on the microbiome as well. She's one of the world's foremost experts and authorities on the microbiome. When I when I was introduced to her by Dr. Peter McCullough, I just was like, oh, my God, this is the woman I've been looking for for so many years to help me understand the microbiome. She's just a treasure trove of knowledge and information extensively published uh, as an author and and just a great person dr sabine hazen welcome how are you doing today
2: i'm doing great thank you i had to wear my glasses just to kind of you know fit you
0: yeah i i like that we we got the style the dr h has got that style we're wearing the we're wearing our sunglasses at night today baby right
2: <laughs> exactly and you know we're both dr h and we both have great hair it's perfect
0: Well, I I think you got your hair a little bit better than mine, but I I will take the compliment. Thank you so, so much. So let's jump into this because there's so much we hear microbiome, 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 right? It's like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha from the Brady Bunch, right? We keep hearing it, but I don't think we really understand it. So what is the microbiome in a nutshell? And and how did you get started investigating it?
2: Well, the microbiome, and you've probably seen my book, Let's Talk SH.T., are we right, all have to right. say it on this radio show.
0: Uh, I don't know, but let's just spell it. <laughs> okay.
2: So that's what it is, right? It's it's that those trillions of microbes that are in your bowel movement, mm-hmm. in your colon, that are living, and it's not only in your colon, but it's really all around us, on your skin. There, we talk about the skin microbiome. We talk about, you know, the bowels microbiome microbiome of the lungs of the eyes there's microbes everywhere Mm. and so that's really what it's all about it's being surrounded by microbes and how appropriate that you know we are all discussing a microbe called COVID-19 so that's you know in order to fight COVID-19 you need your microbiome you need to know what your gut microbiome is doing and so that's really the fascination and and the work behind um my work behind the microbiome to understand the importance of immunity because immunity is in your gut.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting about what you just said was um, that, you know, I don't, I don't get the sense that number one, you're scared of a microorganism. Is that, is that a true statement?
2: Yeah. I'm not scared because when you're exposed to microbes, that's your immunity, right? You have in your gut trillions of bugs that are all in balance and they're doing what they're supposed to do. So you actually want more bugs, not less. We've been conditioned to live in these boxes that are sterile and, mm-hmm. and just keep everything clean when we should really be playing in the garden with the microbes and not so sterile environment. You know, Think about the kids when they're born and they're kept sterile, they tend to have a lot more allergies. They tend to have a lot more infections. You know, And I was that kid, by the way, uh, that my mom kept super sterile and I kept having allergies after allergies until I figured out, you know, maybe I shouldn't be so sterile. Maybe I should start playing in the garden. Maybe I should start <laughs> taking the manure from the cow and, and, and play with chicken poop and putting it in, into my garden and, and playing with all that. And that really started building my, my immunity. Um, you know, I think for me, I look at the microbiome as this new frontier of space that nobody's really looked at carefully on a clinical picture, right? We all talk, and there's a lot of scientists out there that have done amazing work on the microbiome, but nobody has really taken that work and applied it to the clinical. Like, what does the microbiome of a Parkinson's patient look like, or an Alzheimer's, or autism, et cetera, et cetera? So I think, to me, that was the fascination of seeing this, seeing you know, it all started for me, actually, a couple decades ago when I was a fellow at University of Florida, and I'm not going to say how many years ago because that was a long time, <laughs> sure. and I don't want to tell my age, but basically, you know, I was a young fellow presenting my poster on oversensitive esophagus visceral hyperalgesia, and Dr. Stolman, who is now a you know, very well-known, renowned gastroenterologist, mm-hmm. took me around the posters and said, I hate to tell you, but the future is in SH.T. And I said, please, Neil, I'm going into GI, but if a colon is full of poop, I'm out of there. They used mm-hmm. to call me Gucci girl in the GI lab because if the colon was not clean, I'm like, I'm out. It needs right. to be clean. Yeah. I'm not going to remove polyps from a dirty colon, right? But what happened was over the years, I had a colleague about, um, uh, a long time ago that, had, that was dying from a condition called Clostridium difficile. Okay. And this colleague of mine was essentially um, dying and nobody, no medication was helping him. Mm-hmm. And I knew fecal transplant, which is taking stools from a healthy donor and putting it in an unhealthy, was the vision and what Dr. Stolman was kind of pushing Following Dr. Tom Barodi's vision and work. And so I decided I'm not going to leave this, this person die. And this is my personality, anyways. I always try to save a life because to me, doing nothing is not part of the oath. Amen. We were given these licenses to save lives, Amen. to try to save lives. Nobody is going to fault you for trying to save their mother or their child, but they are going to nope. fault you if you do nothing if you say, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do, wait till their oxygen is at 60 and then go to the hospital. That's not okay.
0: It's not okay.
2: and, And you know, so basically that case, I took it on and I decided to, and I didn't even know how to do it back then. And I had to kind of learn and read the papers and educate myself. And then I did my first case where I took the wife's stools, and I implanted it in the colon of a pa- of this doctor. So you're talking and about
0: fecal transplant right here, Fecal right?
2: transplant. I wow. took stools that I basically blended in a blender, put it in a syringe, put it in the colon, in the cecum, and just said, okay, let's just watch. And then next thing you know, the guy recovers, his wow. diarrhea stopped, oh, he improved, he's no longer dying. and I started seeing a miracle. You know, when you look at patients with C. diff in their colon, you see these ulcers and it's looking really ugly. And when I saw the repeat colonoscopy in this guy a month later, it was normal, wow. beautiful, no ulcers. <laughs> Isn't that like cool? It is so cool. <laughs> right? So it's like, and Dr. Barodi says it best. It's like seeing a Martian and going, oh my God, there's life on Mars. That was the beginning for me. That was The story, that was basically the way that it started, but it wasn't only fecal transplant for C. diff. I started seeing other things and my colleagues were starting to see other things Mm -hmm. like chronic urinary, Dr. Sahil Khanna started seeing improvement of patients with chronic urinary tract infections. Uh, Dr. Colleen Kelly, alopecia areata, people that are bald from an autoimmune process on the hair they started basically improving after fecal transplant, the hair grew. And so these cases said to me, what is going on? And then of course, you know, I'm in the clinical trial business for pharmaceutical companies. Sure. So I get clinical trials on my desk every day of which drug do I want to try for all sorts of conditions, you know, biologics for psoriasis, uh, you know, biologics for Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. So new trials for everything. Company I've worked with companies from Japan to China to Korea to, you know, America to Germany to Switzerland. You know, we've worked with every single company for every clinical trials. You know, Boringer, Ingelheim, Pfizer, Merck. Gilead, I mean, you know, you name it, I've worked with them. They're all on my CV of like 300 clinical trials that I've done, either myself or with my sister, who is actually the top clinical research doctor in the world, uh, Dr. Liddy Hazan. So basically what happened is when clinical trials started happening of fecal material in a capsule, I started asking the question, we're in the fecal business in capsule and we don't even understand the microbiome. What is that all about? I mean, that puts pharmaceutical companies at a different level, right? And so thus began the challenge, the challenge of looking at the microbiome, looking at the microbiome with diseases, understanding that I'm in a difficult position because here on one hand, I'm doing clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies Right. So I'm shaking the beehive of the pharmaceutical company. Right. And on the other hand, I'm a physician with my colleagues that i have seen all this data. So I want to see the truth. Right. So yes. you're stuck in this balance yes. of like juggling act, but you want to see because it becomes so. It shouldn't
0: be a juggling act. If, if, if we're really adhering to our ethical principles should never be a juggling act because it should always be about the, the health of the people we're, we're trying to to help. Right.
2: It should be about the discovery. It should be about the research. It should be about, research is sacred. Don't mess with the research. Don't bias the scientists. Don't bother the scientists. Let them do the research because it's research and discovery. You know, nobody is like bothering a geologist when they're doing an an excavation to try to find, you know, remains of the pyramids, right? Right. right. They're gonna say to the geologist, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, You're on CNN right now. Can you tell us what you're seeing? (laughs) Right. Right? So why are we bothering the scientists and saying, oh, I'm sorry, this drug shouldn't be used and this drug. We're doing research. Why are you interfering with research? So this is the challenge and this was the path along this path. When you start shaking this beehive and start discovering, you find kindred souls Mm -hmm. And I like to call those kindred souls. One of the first souls was Dr. Sidney Feingold, who wrote the book on anaerobic bacteria. And when I had my first case of an Alzheimer's patient who remembered his daughter's date of birth after changing his microbiome after fecal transplant, I said, Dr. Feingold, what am I seeing when I'm changing the microbiome of a patient with his wife who's happy, who remembers everything, and now he's remembering his daughter's date of birth six months later. And he said, you're seeing the microbiome in action. Here's a paper, you're gonna put it in your safe. This is my work, nobody wanted to do this research.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You're gonna put it in a safe. And when you get your own genetic sequencing lab, you're gonna take out the research, the paper, and you're gonna see if what I showed in my research by culturing these microbes is the same thing that you found by genetic sequencing. So I said, challenge one. I took the paper and I put it in a safe and I wasn't really thinking of opening a lab. And then the Woolsey fire hit.
0: Mm-hmm. My
2: backyard was burning in Malibu. My house you know, was, was starting to burn. And you know, I was busy with bringing supplies to the Malibu area, to my friends, my neighbors that, would, that stayed home and were hosing their houses. And at that moment in time where you see that you jump into a fire, literally to help your neighbors Mm -hmm. and nothing happens to you. Like God protected my house, my Mm -hmm. backyard burned, but my house was protected. And on the whole, I helped my neighbors and I knew, wow, this is, I got to step in. Thank God I stepped into the fire to help with that. At that moment, it was like the sky opened, and um, I got a phone call from the family saying, you know, or closing in a way, but an angel had gone, Dr. Feingold, who lived till 97 years old. Um, partly, I believe he lived to 97 because he played with so many microbes, right? Um, you know, <laughs> that he created an immunity. And when he stopped playing with these microbes, you know, he started his mind started decreasing and then he passed away. Um, so when he passed away, he left me all his papers, all his books, all his patents. I'm in the middle of the fire bringing supplies. And I tell my husband, we're done with the fire. I'm picking up a, a U-Haul. We're picking up all the books from Dr. Feingold. I got his frames, his little, you know, memorabilia. And then I, I put them in this empty Office that I had in my back, which was Mm -hmm. kind of designated for to become a lab, but we weren't a lab yet. And then little by little, things started happening really fast. You know, I connected with Dr. Barodi. I found out that he was on a lot of patents with Dr. Um, Feingold. And then Dr. Barodi connected me with Dr. Adams, who was doing work on fecal transplant and autism. And then, next thing you know, I'm linking up with all these doctors, this scientist, Dr. Papuzzi comes and joins my team and I open a lab. So instead of like fixing my backyard, I'm like, I said, you know what, I'm just going to open a genetic lab and that's going to be my mission because I saw my path. And so all these doctors, we call ourselves the biome squads. The bio nice. squad came together because we wanted to see the truth about the microbiome. So, I have doctors from Harvard and the Anderson Yale, and we wanted to come at a meeting, the Malibu Microbiome Meeting, where we could all talk about our research. We even brought in Dr. Howard Young from, the, from NIH, who's in charge of the microbiome. And I brought in Dr. Scott Jackson, who's in charge of the National Institute of Standards. And so, the quest was started. And the team was assembled, and then COVID hit. Oh, my goodness. And when COVID hit, we're all on hold. The Malibu Microbiome Meeting was supposed to happen March 30th, 2020. Instead, it was canceled because of COVID. And I didn't really believe it at the time. It was so surreal. But at the same time, I said to myself, I I own a genetic sequencing lab. I should really look at the microbiome.
0: Right. Right.
2: patient with
0: COVID. So and you did. So you so you looked you actually grabbed some patients that were diagnosed as COVID and took a look in, Can it? can I there's a lot here and I, I want to sum up for the yes. audience a little bit if I, I can because there, there's a lot to unpack. Number one, what I'm what I'm hearing is that your exploration is is we can look at someone's microbiome and the in whatever disease that they are yes. diagnosed with, we can look at that microbiome and that microbiome can tell us either what is present that shouldn't be there or what is absent that should be there or a combination of the two. And that through fecal transplants, by taking somebody who has a healthy, thriving microbiome, you can transplant that healthy microbiome into the person who is either... Uh, missing certain aspects, certain micro uh, microorganisms in their microbiome or has too many of them. And you can help restore balance and that you were alluding to with that case of the person who couldn't remember, was it their daughter's name? Was it their was, daughter's date of birth? their daughter's date of birth, that after the transplant and the microbiome is restored, that so is his memory. Uh, is, is right. restored as well. So which so so this is exciting, because this is that this is that new frontier yes. of, of of medical investigation. And what I love that you're talking about Dr. Hazen is that it's predicated upon something that we all have to honor in science. Questions. Yes. Per- the <laughs> pursuit of answers, because we have good questions, and we are curious. That's what to me, science is, it's not, yes. a, it's not a tyrannical expression. It's a curiosity of well, well, what is going on? And it sounds like you've done that just magnificently right here. So go ahead and finish your thought. And then Val, I know, has a question for you by now. No,
2: exactly. It's exactly that. It's really, you discover something in one patient. And by the way, I don't want your listeners to he- to think that we can do fecal transplant and change all these diseases. Right. This is a hypothesis. We saw a Martian. We need to see if there's life on Mars, right? Or Amen. who is this person? We need to continue seeing the future, right? We need to pierce. So to me, it's like being Indiana Jones and cracking the code. The microbiome (laughs) is the holy grail.
0: (laughs) Amen. Make sure you kneel and then roll really quick because those blades (laughs) that come out of the ground can get you, you know, from the last crusade. You know, we're
2: born with microbes that we get from our grandmothers, -grandmothers, great-grandmothers, great-great-grandmothers, centuries of generations Mm -hmm. in our guts And then these microbes evolve over time and eventually decompose our bodies, right? Right. The process of dying is these microbes eating your body and putting you back into the earth. Mm -hmm. So technically we're just microbes that are born and come back and we just inhabit this body temporarily. So the microbes are still alive.
0: So so this ridiculous idea of sterility is preposterous. That number one, it's impossible to be sterile and alive. But the pursuit of sterility is really taking us in the worst direction we can take when we're talking about health. It's actually symbiosis that we need to seek and not sterility. Is that a, is that a, is that a safe kind of you know, it, overview of it? It's
2: very accurate. And especially when you look at the skin microbiome and there's a company that's done amazing work on that uh, with the Amazon women. You mm-hmm. notice that the skin of the Amazon women have a layer of microbes that is not present in the Western population because we use soaps to clean our bodies. Mm. And therefore, we've lost that layer of bacteria that's protecting us. So we were meant to be with the environment.
0: Amen. It was so so well said. Val, Val, I know you got a question. Go for yes, it. Yes, I'm like sitting here on the edge of my seat. So <laughs> too. so doc, I have a question. So why is the microbiome actually so important to persons overall health and just sense of well being in general? What's what's your take on that?
2: Well, you know, when people are constipated, they're feeling, you know, their personality changes, right? Mm-hmm. They're miserable, they're bloated, mm-hmm. they're gassy, like, Gassiness, and I say that in my book, you know, has stopped the ballerina from doing that perfect, you know, jump. Oh, Oh no. Or stop the performance. So it's gas, constipation, even diarrhea. The two spectrums of, of bowel movements really, you know, makes us uncomfortable and changes our personality. So you could see it's the same kind of thing that if your microbiome is out of balance personalities are changed, but it goes deeper than that, right? You see it with people with MS, that it starts with constipation and then ends up with a neurological problem. The microbiome, all this, Hippocrates said it 2,500 years ago, all disease begins in the gut. Mm -hmm. He probably Mm -hmm. had a gut feeling about it. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) the The same, the same. And then you see all these doctors that have been pioneers have said nutrition be thy yeah. you know uh let thy food be thy medicine you know mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. mayo all these doctors maimonides all these doctors through centuries have said you know nutrition is such an important thing when we take we took a study of mice where we gave it a fatty meal and we noticed the the mice started becoming fat but also changed their microbiome wow that tells you food alters your gut, alters your disease, starts creating inflammation. So Mm -hmm. we all know this, right? We all know that if we eat a lot of sugar, if we eat a lot of processed food, we all get inflammation. If we eat a lot of fatty food, we're going to gain weight. So food is a huge part of health and, and also lack of vitamins, lack of nutrients, the proper nutrients is important to health. You see vitamin deficiencies present as skin disorder, hair loss, digestive problems, vision problem. So that tells you nutrition is very, very important and is under um, taught in med school and also under emphasized for patients with physicians. And I think it's because we don't really understand
0: the microbiome and what it's all about. So that's my job. Yeah. Well, and let me support you on that for the audience. If you want to look this up, it's on PubMed National Academy of Sciences. Every couple of years does an assessment of how much nutrition is taught in medical schools. And right now, less than uh, less than 25 hours. They recommend 25 hours throughout the entire education. That's nothing. That's basically a weekend workshop on nutrition. And less than 20% of medical schools meet that minimum requirement of 25 hours out of like a 6,000 hour education. It's something that I, I point out quite frequently because we wonder why aren't doctors teaching more about food as, as medicine? Why aren't doctors saying, hey, this is something that sh- that you should be looking at and and assessing the diet and assessing nutrient deficiencies. And it's when one of my points, and I know Dr. Hazen, we've talked about this a lot, has been, you know, why aren't we testing every single person that we suspect of COVID? Why aren't we testing them for vitamin D and vitamin A deficiencies and things that we mm-hmm. know are so key to the Priming of the immune system. Why aren't we checking them for um, for their microbiome to see what maybe is deficient? I know you're going to reveal. I don't right. want to. I don't want to let that cat out of the bag just yet. I want to, I, you know, and, and steal that thunder. But you start asking this, and, and my 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 answer to people is always the same. It's because they don't know. They're not taught in their education, and that's a fault of curricula design. And for that, we have to look at the influence, the financial potential, financial influences. As to why, you know, because if we have throughout the annals of, of history, of, of medical history, people, Paracelsus, uh, uh, you know, Hippocrates, all all, you know, Imhotep, all talking the same thing, that you need to really look at the digestion, that 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 people are really a, uh, something that's built around a gut. <laughs> It makes, the, it makes the gut so important. So quickly, um, before we get it, because I got two more questions and, and uh, we got about uh, 15 minutes or so that we can keep going. But I got two questions I want to get in. But before I get to those, what nutritional advice, I'm, you know me, I'm big organic plant based nutrition guy. It's we teach at the Energetic Health Institute, right? Right. What specific recommendations could you give us about how we can care for our microbiome? What do you think? What do you see in, in all of your work?
2: So I think the first thing, you know, going back a little bit, why don't they teach? I think the honest answer is I don't think too many people know what Mm -hmm. is the right nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason is everybody's different. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing we discovered from the microbiome. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different. So if you have different fingerprint, you know, you're different. You have different microbiome. And if you Mm -hmm. have different microbiome, you're digesting different foods differently, right? So what's good for one person may not be good for another. Okay. For example, in your case, you're doing plant-based diet, and that's great for you. However, a person whose family was raised on meat and potato their whole generations and lives to 100 years old, you don't want to change too much of that nutrition. Because
0: Amen. <laughs> that's
2: what's helping them live to 100 years old because they microbiome. So remember, the microbiome sits in the colon but it probably sits on these receptors that are specific to um, to the person, right? To the race, to the to the environment. You know, you 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 look at people that are in Mexico at, at their microbiome, and you look at a Mexican in Oxnard, two different microbiomes. Right. If you look at a person that lives in Venezuela, and and I always kind of give that story because I went to Venezuela and I, I ate in a restaurant where they were washing the tomatoes in a pond where Ducks were having their BNs. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I ended up having Giardia for two weeks. I was sick. Now, those oh. people eat the, ate that food, and they're fine. That means they're living with Giardia in their gut, and they're fine because they're in that environment. Right. For it's- me, that's in a semi-sterile environment, which was not the right thing, probably. Um, you know, I could survive the Giardia, right? So, right. I think it's all depends on your environment. And I think the big mistake we make is we come into an environment and we try to change it to make it more sterile, right? What we don't realize is when we change the environment that those animals and, and humans have lived in, you take the Amazon jungle, for example, right? These people don't have heart disease, rarely in the center of, of the Amazon or, or central Africa, for example, You know, cancer, not really present, arthritis, inflammatory problems, not really present. So something in their microbiome is protecting them from having these inflammatory problems. Mm -hmm. Now you go into Central Africa and you change their microbiome and you change their nutrition and you make them more Western. They're going to start having the problems that Western, that mm -hmm. civilized, that countries you know, like America have, which is a huge high rate of obesity. And we've seen that with globalization comes global Yep. So when we talk about nutrition and what should we eat and what should, you know, our, you know, bodies need, I think I always joke and I always say it's a loaded question because (laughs) we're not there yet. And it's really specific to the individual. I will, I always tell this to my patients. If you're eating certain foods and you're healthy and you don't have any cholesterol, diabetes, your family lives a long time, then stick to that diet. However, if you're eating a dozen donuts, probably not a good idea. Right. You know, and you're diabetic and you're overweight. Well, maybe you want to change that that diet, right? So that's basically all about nutrition.
0: Amen. And I I could hug you right now because that's exactly what we teach. It's got to be personalized to you and we, do assess the delayed food allergy panels and see what a person's immune yes. system likes and what it doesn't. We we have to make sure we tailor a person's diet. Yes, there are certain principles for everything. Like one of our principles is about energy production at the cell level, but we have to tailor the foods to the person. And I think that's what I'm so excited about with your research, because it's, you've started that wonderful journey into answering those questions so that we can be precise in helping people. I just pulled up the study because I wanted to make sure I wasn't misquoting anything here. So uh, I just want to read this uh, from from the National Academy of Sciences. Overall, medical students received 19.6 contact hours. This is as of 2014. Uh, overall medical students received 19.6 contact hours of nutrition instruction during their medical school careers and the average uh, in 2004 10 years prior was 22.3 hours so it's gone down and that's the wrong direction for this it, you know and I think that's what's so so when you when your doctor doesn't tell you about nutrition it's kind of not their fault all right? right now they weren't taught it now A doctor should always, like you were saying earlier, Dr. Hazen, should always be asking questions and still studying. I study every single day and we want to get better. So it kind of is their fault a little bit too, but this is where we have this misguided belief that number one, the goal is sterility and number two, nutrition can't help you at all both fallacies, complete and utter fallacies of medical thought, in my opinion. So thank you for that. We got two questions. We're going to get these in now because I, I want to give the, you know, everybody wants, to, we got to talk about the C word, right? We always got to talk. We can't exist without yes. talking about the C word, right? So let's talk about the C word, C right? Word. Oh my goodness. So you, 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 your work is beyond, I, I, it is just impeccable you know, in Thank terms you. of the research and everything, I've just been blown away reading the papers that you've published. Um, it's magnificent peer reviewed research. It's the way research is supposed to be done on the microbiome and really just in general. So with respect to the microbiome and, and COVID, Dr. Hazen, or hold on, I think I mispronounced your name, Hazan. Am I? Is no, that he's in Hazan, it's the same
2: okay, thing, it's okay, it's okay. tomato, tomato.
0: Okay, okay, I just wanted to make sure, I, all right. So what have you learned uh with respect to the microbiome and covid that you wish everyone knew uh
2: well the first thing is we discovered we discovered covid in the stools mm-hmm. and present in all the patients that had symptoms respiratory symptoms
0: to be clear have- can I, can cuz we're going to i can already hear somebody jumping down our throats to be clear you didn't find covid you found sars-cov-2 virus
2: sars-cov-2 okay just, yes. just we're Let not me- stupid we
0: know the Okay, so anybody. Try to go. put
2: it into layman terms. I, I
0: agree with you, but some people. Everybody's
2: calling it COVID. Yes. In the
0: but you know it is. People will attack yes. us on that. We so found there you go.
2: SARS-CoV-2.
0: There you go.
2: Whole genome sequencing the mm. whole entire virus in what?
0: the gut. So the the whole genomic sequence the thing we're not doing for PCR, right? We're not right. <laughs> actually... looking
2: at one <laughs> little region of the virus. We're looking at the entire virus from head to end with the spike protein and everything.
0: So, so what so, did you find on there that, that you wish we all knew? Because we were, we're trying so to help So what people.
2: we noticed initially is when we looked at eight, the first eight patients we noticed is that mm. five out of eight had a completely different virus. Wow. And we found 33 mutations between all those eight patients. So why was that important? Because it told us what we already knew that this virus mutates, which we already know viruses mutate. We've seen that with other viruses, you know, right. HPV, you know, the, those. that's the nature of a virus. That's what it does. Um, when we started looking at the mutations, we started understanding this virus a little bit better. But what was interesting is all we also found COVID, SARS-CoV-2 in the stools of asymptomatic patients. Okay. And we also found it in patients up to 45 days at the time. Now we are up to nine months. We have a patient that we analyzed the stools, was asymptomatic mm-hmm. and nine months later gets you know the symptoms. And when we look back at the stools, we found that the patient had SARS-CoV-2 in their stools from that time. So the clinical picture of seeing your patients, looking at their microbiome, looking at the presence or absence of whole genome sequencing of Mm -hmm. SARS-CoV-2 is very important. And I think is one of the um, crucial research that's going to come out of um, COVID. Because really that ability to know and understand the microbiome in patients with SARS-CoV-2 in their stools is really an important finding, in my opinion, because not only is there, well, why is SARS-CoV-2 in the stools? Is that person still a uh, contaminant?
0: Infectious.
2: Infectious. And then what is it doing in the gut while it's staying there? Is it killing some microbes perhaps, right? Mm -hmm. And you saw my second paper, which is in preprint, where we found the lost microbes of COVID, which is basically- That
0: blew me away, by the way.
2: Yes, because we saw that patient, we compared. So first of all, that paper was already, uh, the the data was already shown in China, Mm -hmm. the low bifidobacteria, the low facetobacteria in Pratsnitsi, that was shown in China. Then that was shown also in South Korea. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always say good research is valid, verified, and reproducible. So the fact that I'm able to reproduce these two giant studies talks a lot about the validity of the data, right? Mm -hmm. It tells us that, you know what, this is real. People with COVID symptoms have SARS-CoV-2 in their gut and have low bifidobacteria, low fasilobacteria in low diversity of course the low diversity could be because they're sick to begin with and they're not eating but in general the low bifido the low faecalobacterium what i added to this picture to this paper that nobody else added was the patients that were exposed to covid patients
0: but never got covid in other See, words no asymptomatic transmission is what you're proving right there doctor i was correct. waiting for you to drop that hammer
2: Correct, because what am I, no, and also that there is a population that will survive because they have a strong gut. Yes. Don't mess with yeah. their guts Yes. because that population, their immunity is in their gut. And you know what? I'm in the fecal transplant business. You may need that fecal material for your <laughs> own problems. Amen. You don't want to mess the perfect microbiome. Because right. that perfect microbiome might be hopping you when because you've developed COVID and now you have a neurological problem from COVID. Right. So that's very important. So I had a case and I actually, you know, I'm very transparent with my research. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. I did a video with a farmer who basically was talking about the fact that he his wife had COVID. She's a teacher. Mm-hmm. She lives in... The classroom, stressed, students, exposed to students, she got COVID. Mm-hmm. She, he's a farmer, works with manure of the cows and, and the soil and everything. He went to his wife, took the saliva of his wife, smeared it all over his face, kissed her, ate the same meal, slept in the same bed as her, never got COVID. So I was curious, why did right. he catch COVID? So I basically told him, I need your stools and your wife. So I looked at it. He was one of my patients that you will see has that perfect microbiome, amazing diversity,
0: mm-hmm.
2: amazing amount of bifidobacteria. You know, this guy drinks milk from the cow right after, he, you know,
0: right after he milks it. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is a great microbiome. And, I, and I, I went to a farm after that where I gave a lecture in front of 400 farmers, and these farmers don't even believe COVID exists, because none of them have gotten COVID. So they're like, what are you talking about? COVID, right. that's a man-made, you know, story. So I said, you mean to tell me none of you guys have gotten COVID? And that brought up my, my curiosity. Right why are those so then, i literally at that conference i said well good keep it that way because i may need your micro right exactly
0: (laughs) (laughs) right i might need your poop
2: (laughs) so so and i you know it's so funny because dr Barodi and i do fecal transplant and we're 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 always testing for the perfect microbiome you know because that's that's our goal right the perfect microbiome that can change a path of a disease. Right. Right. And so, you know, when we see people that have survived living in the same household as someone who got COVID and never got COVID, that's a pretty good microbiome.
1: Right. I, I do
0: have, I, and I'd be, I would be really irresponsible. If I didn't ask this question because I'm curious about it. And I don't know that I remember seeing it, but we've read so much. I, I you may have yes. published it and I just am spacing on it. For these patients that where you're checking the microbiome, you find that the folks that are, um, ha- I think if I'm understanding the summary of your report, the folks that were had absent bifidobacterium and absent, and I might be mispronounced as f- f- help me with
2: Presolobacterium that.
0: Percelobacterium. okay. For the, folks, for the folks that were had um, absent amounts of that in their microbiome, they had more severe symptomatology from COVID. Correct. Okay, Correct. so so now, uh, and but the but the folks that you detected the SARS CoV 2 virus in their stool that supposedly had asymptomatic, you're saying zero instance of transmission. They, these people are not able to transmit, right? So, no, what
2: I'm saying is basically those people that had asymptomatic had it in their stools. We don't right. know whether they're transmitting or not. Right. But what they did is they were not symptomatic because they had a strong gut that was fighting. Right. So, you know, this, that whole gut lung access is working perfectly.
0: Right. That's part of their, that's part yeah. of their immune system. A major yes. part of their immune system is working, keeping it at bay. My, my question would be. But the
2: thing is when you have a patient that's severe, like yeah. the teacher. Yeah. And kisses a guy that has not gotten it. It's because his microbiome protected him.
0: I got that's you. That's what so,
2: I think. That's what we think. And that's what the hypothesis is, is. anyways.
0: So my my question would be, did you did you also test in those people um, that had um, healthy microbiomes, did you test their any antibodies or T cells to see if they are? So had we tested immunity? their antibodies and they
2: didn't have antibodies.
0: This is incredible. Because yes. what you're what you're then saying is that the the healthy microbiome is the true preventative from the from contracting the the yes. symptomatic expression of the virus. This is mind blowing. Mind blowing. By the
2: way, you know, as scientists, we're always the guinea pigs, right?
0: Right, of course. I'm well, in
2: a lab playing with fecal material with poop.
0: <laughs> You're playing Fox with poop cold. every day. Dr. Every Andrew.
2: day. I'm exposed. And awesome. you know what? My microbiome is up to par, happy to say. And yeah. I get to catch COVID. I'm antigen negative, antibody negative.
0: Amen. So awesome.
2: You know I'm, what? I'm, I'm, I.
0: I think I finally contracted it a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to go and test that theory out in a couple, in a couple of weeks and give my, and see what my immune system is doing. But I, I've been exposed well, eventually, so many I times. I
2: think, you know, you fall, you know, you there's.
1: And yeah, I, you get, yeah, you get into a stressful,
0: right. We'll knock on wood and everything. Yes. But, but the thing is, if you're, if you're, microbiome is healthy you don't have to worry about that it's like you're going to get exposed to it let's just not kid ourselves yeah. but just because you're exposed to it doesn't mean you have to succumb to it. it doesn't mean that you have to get infected by it or be hospitalized or or even worse die by it right that we have we understand there are very much things that we can consider to be preventative starting with the health microbiome
2: gut health is very important i think that's the Amen. key to my life um, I think, you know, there are times where I feel like I'm a little bit tired, overworked, stressed. Sure. So I try to back, dive back because I think that's going to be the downfall, really. It, it needs the trifecta. So I don't want people thinking, well, you know, gut health is everything. Yes. I mean,
0: it's a major piece of it's this a whole major puzzle.
2: piece. And right. I think, you know, it doesn't help when you have when you're constantly reminded of death and you're constantly reminded of. You know, COVID, etc., and the symptoms and all that doesn't it, help your mental yeah. status, we, we, uh, we, and especially definitely. for the kids.
0: Definitely, so, we, it, it, there's no doubt that the oh, the daily negative updates and the daily fear mongering takes its toll on the psyche, which then takes its toll on the overall systems of the body. Uh, and, and the bio, biochemistry, of the body and even the microbiome that I'm sure it, right. it, it produces changes. This is because we're all interdependent. Okay, we're, we're running up against it, but I got to get this one more. I got to get one more question in because you, you taught me something about ivermectin that blew me away. The audience needs to know about this, okay? Um, yes. So we got about two, three minutes tops, but I, let's get this in here. The, the hot topic is, and it's been ivermectin. And now everybody's like, well, how do I get it? Because I think the world knows the word is out. This has been, this is an amazing early treatment, you know, option, right? So what is ivermectin and what have you learned about it with respect to the microbiome and COVID?
2: So, what is ivermectin, right? What is an antibiotic to begin with? An antibiotic, if you go back to the history, is a fungus of a potato. It's another organism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What is ivermectin? Ivermectin is the fermented product of a bacteria called streptomyces. Okay. Therefore, it's a product of a bacteria. And I think it's important, I'm going to repeat it again, it's a fermented product of a bacteria called streptomyces, Mm -hmm. right? Where are those fermented products found? Usually, you know, if you look at kombucha,
0: mm-hmm.
2: tons of fermented products in there, right? That's the basis of of fermenting- Sauerkraut,
0: sauerkraut, right?
2: Sauerkraut, yeah. exactly. Uh, kefir has, mm-hmm. you know, bifidob- good bifidobacteria in there. So I think that's the, that's when I saw that and I started seeing some of the data initially, and Dr. Barodi, by the way, is the the physician that planted ivermectin in my brain to do the clinical trial. And he said, ivermectin, doxycycline, zinc, that's what we need to do. So we called it Zyvrodox. So we started it at the clinical trial. So there's not much that I can say about it because we're under FDA clinical trial. But that's what basically started. You know, every time I post something on clinicaltrials.gov, there's a huge controversy. Mm-hmm. You know, I posted a clinical trial on hydroxychloroquine in April 3rd, 2020, controversial hydroxychloroquine. Then I post ivermectin, controversial. I'm going to post fecal transplant. It's going to be controversial. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I'm that kind of controversial girl because guess what? There might be truth in this, right? Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, well, I play with feces of humanity to understand diseases. So I'm all about controversy. <laughs> Bring it on. I've got my hands way dirtier than anybody. So, literally. <laughs> literally. And And so to me... Um, when I realized the mechanism, I'm a big person of mechanism of action. I have to understand how does it work? Ditto. And the first thing that I wanted out of all these protocols was never to come out with like a product or, or, or treatment. It was really, what is it doing on the microbiome? Mm -hmm. And so the data is going to be coming out of what it's doing on the microbiome because it is a fermented product of a bacteria. Let's call Mm -hmm. it what it is. It's not a horse base, not a cow cream. It's a fermented product of a bacteria that we are looking at, that we are giving, that is actually doing something in the microbiome that is creating improvement of symptoms. And that's why there's a big revolution out there because people have seen it. People have stopped breathing and then you give them 18 milligrams or whatever dosage according to their body weight and they can breathe again. That's that's a miracle, right? So when people see these miracles, I mean, I've treated so many patients without saying a number, nobody died on my shift and I'm doing placebo control trial with the FDA. So I monitor the oxygen saturation very carefully of my patients. And as soon as I feel like their oxygen is dropping, then I go, okay, you know what? I don't want to take a chance. Let me give you open label off label. And I treat them aggressively because I'm not going to send them to the hospital. And, you know, on the whole, nobody died. Something to so, so, be said about that, right? So
0: in your opinion, in yes. your professional and obviously experienced opinion, yes, does ivermectin demonstrate efficacy in early treatment for SARS-CoV-2 infections? So, I say, it, wonder- say it in the way that you need to say it. I, I know. Yes. Say it in the way you so need to say it.
2: I will say it this way. Dr. Barodi and I would not have spent our savings on doing clinical trials in the middle of a pandemic if we didn't believe that that was an answer. Amen. Right? Because you don't spend your savings in the middle of a pandemic when you don't know what the future holds if you don't believe this is an answer to help open the minds of humanity. And at the end of the day, that's what we did. We took our savings and we did these clinical trials. You know, clinical trials are not cheap. I mean, pharmaceutical companies spend a ton of money. We're lucky because I own a clinical research organization where I've done clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies. So I know how to do all that, but it's not easy. And it certainly is not easy when there's all this pressure from the media and politicians speaking about stuff they don't understand. Because let me tell you, what I've seen from the microbiome is a loss of diversity, loss of certain microbes. Yep. As we continue to progress, we have opened Pandora's box. When your bacteroides is high and your bifidobacteria is low, viruses penetrate. Okay, that's the hypothesis. And if I'm right on my hypothesis, other viruses are gonna penetrate because Pandora's box is open. Amen. If Pandora's box is open, other viruses are penetrating. I mean, good luck. It's one vaccine after another, after another, but you can't keep up. I mean, look, we have another virus coming on, right? Mm -hmm. WHO talked about another virus. Yep. Herpes, CMV, all these are lighting up.
0: That's all we're seeing.
2: We got to slow down and stop having the politicians and the media involved. Let the scientists do what they do. Let the physicians do what they do. And intercept, because I'm telling you, this is very dangerous for humanity. And as we progress, we we'll keep on killing the microbiomes, it's gonna be very difficult to find the perfect microbiome to fix all that. Amen. And so my whole mo- motion is save the bifidobacteria, save the fascinobacterium by di- save the diversity. We cannot think of having one group of microbes in the gut we've seen it when we see one group of microbes only in the gut we have Mm -hmm. disease yeah when we have a diverse microbiome and this is the most important thing that i'm going to say when we have a diverse microbiome we have health when we have and if you extrapolate this to humanity when you have multiple races diversity of humanity humanity survives you lose the races you lose diversity and you lose humanity and, so and we Dr. have to pay attention. The microbiome tells us what's going to happen in humanity.
0: Amen. Dr. Hazen, everybody, I, 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 if, if we could give you a round of applause on air, I would do it right now. In fact, Thank I'm you. going to do it. This is Fantastic, amazing. Amazing. And I totally agree with you on diversity and that we should, and we have to extend that to diversity of perspective. Yes. Right? that we, yes. we have to open make sure minded- that's open-mindedness to all of it. Thank you for everything you are doing. Thank you for all you are sharing. Okay. Thank you for your time today on the show and educating everyone. I can't wait to get this out to our audience. And uh, folks, um, you can check her out on progenabiome.com. You can go to her about us section there. She has all of her publications up there. This is one of the most brilliant scientists in the world telling you what scientists need from us so that they can help us solve this crisis. And that is basically treat them like geologists, leave them alone, take the politics out of it, and let's get down to what science is really about. Investigation, curiosity, and sharing information for the betterment of all. We'll be right back after these messages, everyone. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.
1: Liberty and justice for all.
0: Okay, everybody, welcome back. What an incredible interview from Dr. Hazen, right, yes. uh, Val? I am still processing it. I know you My are. Mind blowing, right? <laughs> So what if you could if you could summarize in cup just a couple words, what blew your mind about what Dr. Hazen shared with us? Number one is going to be the importance of diversity, mm-hmm. but at the same time, my number two is gonna be the importance of individual personalization. We're all so genetically amazing and
1: unique. So just blew my mind. It just right. did. It, it, it just did. It
0: stood out for me too, especially. Relevant now where we're seeing this entire medical thought of one size fits all, you know, we exactly. have to give up this ridiculous notion that always fails about one size fits all. And the goal is sterility. The goal isn't sterility. The goal is diversity. The goal isn't one size fits all. The goal is personalization because that's where we can find health and help people experience the best versions of themselves. You know, that's really where it comes in. Did I say versions? Yeah, I said versions, versions of themselves, (laughs) everybody. I'm still reeling. So folks, we're going to end it the way we always do with a blessing. It's very important in these crazy times that we live within we want to stay connected to love and connected to something far greater than ourselves. So I say on behalf of everyone at Energetic Health Radio may our creator shine his divine light down upon us all, everyone we love and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. Val, thank you so much for being here. Big thank you to Dr. Hayes and Day you, Dr. and if you haven't checked out CovidCon 21 uh, com. Make sure you check it out, folks. We love you so much. We can't wait to uh, share some more good information with you from the heart for the betterment of all. One love, everybody. Peace.